Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 317 of the Maluli Asset Management uh, podcast. I'm Tom Maluli and with me today is Tim Maluli and Brendan. Glad to be back, guys. There was an article uh, from the Wall Street Journal. We usually like to talk about articles that have come out in the last week or so, um, but this one was actually written in the middle of February. It was February 17th by uh, Shlomo Bernardi. It was about how people don't save enough for emergencies, uh, but he said there are ways to fix that. And I thought it was interesting reading that article having been written in the middle of February before the pandemic started really here in the United States and before the shutdown and before there was a huge emergency. I feel like people revisiting that article today would read it with different lenses on their glasses having gone through an emergency when before the pandemic there wasn't really a huge national emergency for a handful of years. Yeah, I mean uh, I would say if people are looking at it, you know, differently now then then there are lessons to be learned from it and and we should make changes if, if we've learned something. If somebody was unprepared, you know, obviously that sucks in the moment, but it, it doesn't mean that you can't become prepared for future emergencies. I mean, I don't know how often I'd prepare for uh, a national emergency, but people have right. personal emergencies all the time, and they're even less predictable than something of this magnitude. I yeah, think, you got to be prepared for the unknown. I think, Brendan, the, there's a like an underlying current the last couple of years is interest rates have gone to zero. I mean, we've heard this on the phone where people are like, I don't want to be stupid. I want to maximize my money that's sitting there for a rainy day fund. And so they're using air quotes, rainy day fund is actually sitting in tech stocks or something else where they really are taking on a lot, a lot more risk. It's a problem. And I think that people feel a little stupid saying, well, I can't just leave, you know, three to six months expenses doing nothing. I get, so the the feeling generally, it, it does give up the vibe of like, I don't want to be stupid. I want to maximize, but, but it can only be stupid in hindsight. So in hindsight, after the fact, when there was no emergency for the last six or 12 months, then yeah, of course, it looks stupid, just like it looks stupid to pay for homeowner's insurance or car insurance when you don't have an accident. Uh, at your house or out on the road for six or 12 months. Sure, I'd love to have that uh, money back in my pocket, but but we, we don't live in a world where we get the benefit of hindsight. We only can act with, with the future in front of us, which is unpredictable. And so, yeah, there's, there's certainly an opportunity cost to leaving some money in a bank account. So you wanna make sure that what you are leaving there for emergencies is fine-tuned uh, to make, make sure it's appropriate, make sure it's enough to be there for you when you need it, but not too much to be, air quotes, irresponsible. Um, but there has to be something there. And the fact that it's not gonna earn much doesn't change that. One thing in the article that I, I kind of chuckled at because I think a lot of people give lip service to the fact that they would, they would save money if something were 
presented to them like a vehicle to to save money. So there's a survey in the article and it said 71% of workers would contribute to an emergency savings fund if employers offered it. And that went up to 87% if they were the employer would provide matching contributions. Sounds great. It does. I don't believe I don't believe people. When it's hypothetical like that and it doesn't exist, it's like, yeah, I would I would do that. Sure, like I would do the right thing. If if you ask someone a hypothetical question, they're always going to say, "Yeah, I would do the right thing." That's but then they point. went on to That's say, a good point." Yeah. In reality, in 2019, there was the Federal Reserve survey that said four out of ten Americans can't cover a $400 emergency. So I don't know. They, I just don't believe a lot of people when they with with these survey results saying 87% of people would contribute to an emergency savings fund. And why should this be on the employer's plate to cover yeah, it anyway? Thank you. thank you. Right. It yeah. shouldn't be. Uh, and if it was, people would resent that fact, just like they would resent it if the government made some program where they could they could also take people's money from a, a check and put it into some emergency reserve account for them. They'd say, "Ah, oh, big brother, get out of my life." So right. people don't. There, there are there are a certain percentage of people out there that just can't be helped. They don't want the help, and no matter how easy you make it for them. They're going to complain about it, and they're not going to do it. So, yeah, I agree. I think the survey results there are kind of bunk. I recall sitting around doing a podcast where we talked about, wouldn't it be great if these employers offered some kind of emergency savings bucket yeah. and actually make that a requirement before they contribute to a retirement plan? Because, let's face it, you're going to need that emergency money before you're tapping into your retirement fund. And unfortunately, we're finding or have found, um, especially recently, that people who don't have emergency sources of cash, not a line of credit, if they don't have an emergency stockpile of cash, they are rating their 401k or their retirement plan at so work. Even if, if, if they even have one, which is an important point to consider here, most employers can't even bear the cost of offering a 401k plan to their employees. It's expensive. I'm yes, not saying is. that as a knock against the employers. It costs a lot of money. Why do they have to do that anyway? And then to layer on another cost, which they would obviously have to bear of setting up these bank accounts or whatever the heck we would call them to right. do the emergency fund in. Like why, why is this being thrust upon the employer? Like I get that that's the existing framework because that's how 401ks work it's just like that's an another thing employers have to bear the cost for here yeah. like i don't yeah i don't think it's their responsibility to save for people even though that makes it easier if you can do it through payroll so maybe if we could just make it easier to do things through payroll as opposed to like making the employer set up accounts for people right when they may or may not want them yeah i mean on on paper at the like the hierarchy of funding an emergency fund plan through your employer and then the 401k it sounds good and they they talked about in the article about how, you know, they've been setting up auto enrollment for 401ks and it, it increased the participation rate from 70% to 90%, which on the surface sounds good. And in a lot of cases, it is helping a lot of people save for retirement. But they're going back to what we were just talking about, how four out of 10 people can't cover a $400 expense. Maybe the auto enrollment into a 401k isn't a good thing for people because now we're finding with the CARES Act so many people are going in and just raiding their 401ks because they don't have enough cash on hand to pay for their life right now. So it's like, why are you putting money away for retirement when you need money in the near term? And it's I, I agree. But then the flip side of that is like, if we don't do these things to encourage people to save, then ultimately, like, 
where is the burden going to be when these people don't have anything saved at all for retirement and then they can't work anymore? It means that they're on programs that are being funded by taxpayer taxpayers. dollars. Anyway, so I don't know. I fall on both sides of the fence here. I don't, yeah. I don't disagree with you. It's yeah, just yeah. like it's like that in that world where we strip all of the responsibility and just lay it on the individual, like do what's best for your situation, then we're basically saying that later on, if they don't have money, that we're just going to tell them too bad, you should have done something about it, which is not what we do as a society. We, su we support them. So maybe it's in the best interest of society to do these things where you auto-enroll people and stuff. I don't know. Part of this that I think we should discuss for a moment or two, and that is the fact that talk is cheap. We all talk about having you know, emergency funds or savings accounts and things like this. So I uh, am a member of the finance council for my parish and have been for many years. And uh, we've had money that has been uh, earmarked for long-term investments. We have some money that's for long-term investments. We have some money that's for capital projects, but we didn't have an emergency fund. We didn't. And so we just happened to be in March when things shut down, we happened to be in the middle of rebalancing the portfolio. And so we had cash that we could pull out and put into our operating fund as a short-term patch in case we needed it. We were very, 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 did I say we were very, we were very blessed that a parishioner who had passed away left money to the parish and we were able to take this lump sum of money and put it away into a special reserve account. I called it the other night at our finance council meeting, the doomsday account. Families need to start talking about this, especially in light of what's happened in the last few months. Having some kind of doomsday account, our doomsday account at the parish now covers 13 weeks or three full months, a quarter of the year, in all of our expenses. And I think it's a good idea to have it. And there's absolutely, you know, I'm going to write up a list of parameters that have to be met before that money gets, before that principal gets invaded. So the question then was, well, what do we do with the money? How do we invest this? And the consensus was, it needs to be liquid. It needs to be available in something short term. Yes, it's not going to earn a lot of money. The other part of that discussion was, hey, if this is a doomsday account and we may not be touching this for a long period of time, why don't we put it into something that's going to grow? My response was when we needed the money in March and April to tap into, we were really lucky that we were in the middle of doing some transactions in February and so we had cash sitting there. It had to sit there until the next board meeting. But when we needed money, if we had to tap into our investments, they were all down 35%. Right. What do you want to do? So if That's you're going to if you're going to put the money into something risky, then just answer the question, okay, if this is only 70% of uh, what we have here now, would that be okay? If the answer is yes, then all right. Take and, your chances. And if the answer is no, then then you have your answer and it needs to go on something that doesn't have that amount of risk. I, I think it's important too to note that like this is an easy conversation to have after this is 
yeah. so fresh in our minds. A year from now, two years from now, when you haven't touched this money at all, it'll become easier and easier for people to say, hey, we could have made X by investing that for the last two years for the long term. I think this is a mistake. We should take more risk. People do this with their portfolios too. They do it all the time. In the rearview mirror right now, it sounds easy to say, hey, we should we should take the right amount of risk with our investments. That was kind of scary. But the further and further you get away from the market being down 30% in a six-week stretch, uh, the more and more willing people become to take risk. And it should actually work in the exact opposite direction of that. The other, the other point behind this is that we talk about doing these things, but how many people actually take the steps to say, I'm going to open up an emergency fund? Yeah, I mean, if people don't, especially now, I think if people don't learn their lesson after something like this, they're never going to. But like I said, I mean, people back in February probably read this article and were like, yeah, I would do that. It sounds good. And then they wouldn't actually do it. So I hope more people having gone through something like this over the last couple of months, will have learned a lesson and, and you know maybe actually fund an, an emergency fund. I thought it was very coincidental that we tripped over this article this week, and it was originally published five months ago. It was another article in the Wall Street Journal this week about small businesses bracing for a prolonged crisis. And the, the subtitle was that these small businesses are starting to run short on cash and they're also running short on customers. This, this is a real concern. The stock market came back immediately when the Fed showed up and brought out trillions of dollars in support for the economy. But the real test of the economy, I think, is going to be when people feel comfortable going back to their usual lives. So it, it's a it's a real risk to small business owners that may not be well capitalized. Maybe, you know, the PPP money's been spent. That was money that was supposed to cover payroll in May and June. Now what? We're getting near the end of July. Uh, what's going to happen next? Some real questions out there. Yeah, I think things are just lasting longer than people anticipated. I think the PPP and other forms of aid that are running out now when they were initiated, they were under the idea that things would be better in terms of the virus and, and states being open and stuff. And in, in a lot of cases, we're backtracking there. So yeah, we don't know, really. I think it was just an underestimation of how long things are going to last. And we still don't really know. Yeah. Well, the, the part that you didn't describe there is that the Fed came out and supported publicly traded companies and, and you know, they're, they're common stock and, and bonds by doing what they did there. But that has little to no impact on, on small businesses in your local economy. That was supported by the fiscal policy, which we have an opportunity to do something about in the next couple of weeks. But we'll, we'll see if we do or not. Right. It's a, that, it's could, a, that could really help. It's a real concern. Yeah. It, it really is. Brendan, before we turned the microphone on, we were talking about that article that was in uh, Bloomberg about 401k plans being that, that they may no longer make sense for people. And we wanted to save the discussion for, you know, when we had the mic on. But there were a couple of points in the article, and we'll link to it in the show notes, that I saw the headline and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to read this. I was like, that's not true. Like, of course 401ks make sense. 
But the initial four points that the author made actually are true. So I'll just share them and then we can discuss. The marginal federal tax rate for a, ma a median income married couple in 1980, the reason why they're using 1980 is it was the first year that 401k plans were available. So the marginal federal tax rate in 1980 was 43%. Uh, the capital gains tax rate was 28%. Today, your capital gains rate might be zero. The likely retirement income tax bracket, if you were retiring in the early 80s, was 15%. Now it's 12. Uh, and interest rates were 15% when plans were written. Now, I mean, interest rates are zero. A lot has changed. Right. Uh, the, the numbers aren't wrong. I just think the example is kind of ridiculous because the, the rates that they're quoting in today's terms are, again, the median for a two-spouse two, uh, two family with two children. Um, but the median is across the country, so that's taking people from North Dakota in the same boat as New Jersey because I can tell you right now that those numbers that they quoted for today's people are not what we see in our practice here in New Jersey. No. They're not the median in this state. They're not. So. To be in the 12% tax bracket that they quoted here, you have to make, as a married couple, less than $80,000 a year. To have a 0% capital gains rate, you need to have less than $78,000 worth of income in a year. And again, the retired tax bracket would be the same. So again, we're, we're talking about a very specific sect of people here who this might not make sense for. Uh, and I just, I don't think that that's reality. I think most people that are saving into 401ks make more money than this. If they don't, then they probably don't have money to put into a 401k. That's very true and all good points. I, I think the kind of couple that we may see in here that's bringing in $75,000 in retirement, they may have assets in retirement plans mm -hmm. uh, that they plan on tapping into in the future. Yeah, which would increase the income. The that income they have. as they go further. Um, I just, yeah, I, I mean, the, the article had some good ideas in terms of like incentives to make these plans better again in the future. They said that maybe if you're below the median, again, I think that's kind of dangerous because the median is very, very different and goes a lot further or shorter depending on where you are in this country. So I'm not sure that that's the threshold that I would use here. But if, if you're below the median income when you're withdrawing this money, maybe it's tax free in the future. Like it's, it's, tax deductible on the way in and then tax free too. I'm not sure. So basically kind of Roth, Rothify. I mean, the, it's the best of all worlds. So yeah, yeah. you I'm never end up paying tax on that money. I really doubt the government is going to let that happen. And I don't think that they really could in terms of tax revenues either. I think um, that they're going to, I think that they're going to need to do something in the future. Don't pin me to a date, but at some point in the future, they're going to have to say, look, you've got social security. And a lot of people, for, for a lot of people, that's it. That's what they're going to have in retirement. Some people, a, a shrinking number of people have a pension. Uh, people have retirement assets, but not nearly enough. And so they're going to have to do something to make a break for retired income folks. And maybe they do take a look at making distributions from retirement accounts zero taxable or at some reduced tax bracket. Yeah, I think this kind of goes back to the beginning when, when we were talking about like the burden and where that falls. Like maybe those people should just save more money for retirement and then the taxes wouldn't necessarily matter or, or they withdraw less um, and their money lasts longer. That's just, it just like shifts the burden to like the government has to 
they have to do something. It's like, well, why is it on them? Why can't it be on the individual? I, I just think you know there I mean? are already more than enough incentives to use plans like this. And, and I don't think that it's more incentives are going to make people do a better job of saving. I just think ultimately if people aren't saving, it's probably because they can't afford to. Um, and I'm not sure that making the money tax free in retirement or excluding it from FICA tax too, which was another thing that they threw out there, uh, again, maybe, but is that really going to move the need? Like if somebody isn't saving for retirement today and you tell them, well, guess what? Now, you don't have to pay FICA tax either. So uh, what percentage should we put you down for? I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think that that's going to be like, oh, that's it. Like now I'm in. That moves the needle. Oh, it'll be tax free in retirement. Now I'm going to do it. It's like if they're not doing it now with all the auto enrollment features and, and things that are making it like easier and easier to be in these plans, then like what is going to make them do it? I think it's if, if they had if they had an income that allowed them to save more money than they would. So again, I think that the point that they made here mathematically is all true. It's just that I don't think the, the, the hypothetical person that they're quoting in terms of today's tax, tax rates, capital gains rates, interest rates, uh, I don't think that that person is, I don't think that this is a conversation for them. I don't, I don't think yeah. that they're concerned about the incentives for 401k plans and the fact that we do all of this stuff to get them in there and make it easier to save. I think that's like that's the best thing we can do is yeah. make it as easy as possible. There are incentives on the table and if they take advantage of it great and if they don't it was available to them and they chose not to. Right. And it's not because 401k's are are no longer like a good deal like they were 40 years ago. I don't I don't think that's why people aren't using it. I think it's completely uh, you know, beside well, the point. The other thing, two other things I'll I'll just mention um, the the maximum contribution in 1980, I believe, was six thousand dollars. Might might have been seven thousand dollars. So it didn't really add up to all that much. Buying power has changed a lot since then in 40 years. But the other thing at the other end of the race is required minimum distributions (RMDs) are suspended for this year. But most times when we notify a client that they have to take their RMD, the first thing they say is, do I have to? So they don't need the money. They don't want to take the money out. The government does. Yes, they want you. And they was, want their piece. And there was an incentive on the front end, so I think it's only fair that people need to take it out eventually because otherwise it's just a free pass on taxes forever. And yeah. then who's the people who are bearing the burden of that if we're not letting or if we're letting – retirees never pay taxes or just the people who are working because we don't have a choice. Mm. Um, so good point. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. That's going to wrap up episode 317. Thanks again for tuning in and we will catch up with you on the next episode.